0: If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5,
1: for the reading of the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 5, praise the word of the Lord, this is going to be amazing, Um, I'm going to be transparent, when I was praying this week, the Lord said I gave it to you, and I just had to write what was on my heart, and so bear with me. Acts chapter 5, starting in the first verse. Now a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira,
0: sold a piece of property. He kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to deceive the Holy Spirit, and keep back part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, was it not your own? And when it was sold, was it not under your authority? Why have you conceived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to men, but to God. On hearing these words, Ananias fell down and died. And great fear came on all those who heard these things. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this amount. And she replied, yes, for that much. Peter said to, you, said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. At once she fell down at his feet and died. Upon entering, the young men found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear came upon the entire church and on all those who heard these things. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word. Father, I pray that I'd be faithful upon what you laid upon my heart.
1: And Lord, I pray that you just speak to us and have your way in this service. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Fascinatingly, when it says in verse 11, great
0: fear came upon the entire church, is the first time in the book of Acts where the word church, Ecclesia, is actually used. It is not used anywhere else before that time. That is the first moment it's used, and it's used in conjunction with Ananias and Sapphira. Now, this is heavily upon my heart, and I'm trying to do justice to what the Lord has given us, but we are going to move forward in here.
1: Anias and Sapphira were moved somewhat out of jealousy to sell a field.
0: In those days when there was great need, the believers would sell their fields, and they would donate the proceeds or donate the amount to, to the church for the church to do the work. And they saw the recognition some people were getting. And so they thought, let us do the same. And so they sold a field, kept part of the amount back, and told the apostles, this is what we sold the full, this is the full amount of what we got for the field. Here you go. And they said, this is the whole amount. And they gave it to the apostles and they pocketed some of it. Now, was it wrong for them to keep it, keep part of it? No, that was not wrong. What was wrong was lying to them, and, and here's the full amount, okay? Here's the full amount, and they lied, and they said, here's the full amount, and they gave that, and they said, here it is, and then they pocketed the rest. Now if they said, we sold a field, we kept this much for ourselves, we felt led to give this much to the church, that would have been fine. They would have lived a much longer life. But as they had tested the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moved upon them, and they died. And now I'm going to kind of joke a little bit, but here is one of the first account of ushers in the church. And it wasn't taking up offerings, it was taking up bodies. Okay? There you go. When I, that was my first thought. I'm reading the scripture, and I'm like, Young men came. Oh, look, they took a up. they went and buried him. Now, can you imagine they're surprised when they They get back from burying one, and they come, and there's the other.
1: (sighs) No one's allowed to meet with you, Peter. Not anymore. Two in one day. No. But what's
0: fascinating is they met with him, and and it says that they, they fell over, and they died, and they were taken out and buried, and it says, great fear seized the church.
1: And I want to explain a little bit here as we move forward the title of my message colorblind, colorblind, and it's
0: not, I'm not referring to to racism or sexism or any other isms out there, I'm not referring to any of that. What I'm referring to is simply seeing things the way they really are. I debated about it, but I didn't feel it was a proper thing to do. But how many of you have ever gone on on the internet, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, and you want to find those feel-good videos where there's an individual who is colorblind, and they get those special kind of glasses. Have you ever seen those videos? They have special glasses now that if somebody is colorblind, they put on these special glasses, and what it does is it is fixed for their colorblindness and allows them to see the full spectrum of the colors. Do you guys catch that? And so these people are overcome with emotion because for the first time they're seeing everything as they really are, as it really is. And so I titled, I felt led to title my message this morning, Colorblindness, Colorblind, because the capital C church is colorblind when it comes to things of a spiritual nature. The capital C church is not fully Realizing the fullness of what God has for us. We don't, we're we're missing things out. I'm gonna explain things here because this past week my heart has been in anguish. My heart has been anguished this week. And the only way I can define anguish is a,
1: a deep internal painful, angry sorrow. That's the way I define anguish. A
0: deep, internal, painful, angry sorrow. It is, just, it is just so heavy upon me. Because we're living in a day right now where we, 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 the New York just passed the Reproductive Health Act, which says you can now abort babies up to their birthday. This should have us so incensed and angry and hurt. This is, this is a terrible, terrible thing. Especially when you have doctors and scientists saying there's no reason for any such behavior, any such action from the second trimester. When, when infants can be a C-sectioned out and live at 21 weeks. You realize, this, this is the equivalent, this means like this, if Amanda were to have difficulties and little Josiah would
1: have to be born right now, there's a chance he could survive. Do you see? Do you see this? And so we live in a day and age where the mass
0: population is saying, we want this. At least New York is saying that. Praise God for Iowa, and they passed the heartbeat bill. That's amazing. That's a blessing. I saw that this week, that Iowa has now passed a bill that says, once the heartbeat's detected, there's no abortion. It's completely illegal after the heartbeat's detected. Praise God for such states. Amen? Amen. But I really wish I could say that that was the whole iceberg, because the sad reality is it's not. The sad reality, it's not. Just this week, if you want to take some uh, some pointers from uh, from our celebrities, this this week Lady Gaga came out and accused our Vice President Pence and his wife of unChristian conduct. How dare our Vice President's wife work at a Christian school? that wants to abide by biblical guidelines and rules. That is so unchristian, unchrist-like, she says.
1: "Did you see? To me, it's just huge. I'm like, really, you want to take your cues from Lady Gaga? Really? She's got issues all her own.
0: But we see that there's these things going out there, and what's happening is that we have entered a phase of our
1: world at a grander scale The Bible tells us that the last days are going to be like the days of Noah
0: where it says everyone did as they pleased. Everyone is doing as they please. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 50
1: that woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. And these are the days that we are now abiding in. And the sad reality upon all of this is simply this, that 75%
0: of Americans claim to be Christians. 75%. That means three-fourths of the majority, three-quarters
1: of the majority of Americans, the majority of Americans claim to be born-again believers. They claim to be Christians. Yet 9% of American Christians have a biblical worldview. Do Do you catch that? We jump from 75% are Christians to only 9% have a biblical
0: worldview. And of all those Christians, more than 45% claim to either seldom or never read their Bibles. You catch the magnitude of why this. So it makes complete sense that when we would have only 9% have a biblical worldview, and more than 45 who don't even read their Bibles.
1: It makes sense that we are colorblind to the things of God. We are colorblind to the things of God. We have came to this point in our country because what happens is the salt stops being salt. And light has ceased to be light. I want to read a scripture here from Jeremiah chapter 6. He says, let me turn. I'm going to need my notes because I can't remember what verse it was, but it's on my heart and it's in my notes. Verse 13 says this. For from the
0: least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. And they have have healed also the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? They were not at all ashamed, nor could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I will punish them shall they cast down, says the Lord. What gets me, and this is what hurts me is when I read this. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely.
1: I'm going to point three fingers back at me. The reason the salt has lost its saltiness is because the preachers have stopped preaching it. We have
0: stopped preaching what real saltiness is. We have stopped preaching what the truth is. And we have begun to preach a social gospel. By preaching all these good things, all these things, and saying peace, peace, peace. We need to have peace, so let's do this. We need to have righteousness. Let's do this. We need to do all this. And we begin to pour out so much peace that we want. That we have neglected to share the salt of what really should be. Because here's the reality. Salt is a preservative. Salt's a preservative. But at the same time, if you have got a cut in your arm or in your leg, and there needs to be health, but there is none, if you jump into the salt water of the ocean, you will feel the stinging of the salts. And so, yeah, salt is a preservative, but salt also brings with it a little tinge of pain because something's got to be dealt with. And what has happened in the church is that people have said so much whatever the tickling ears want to hear. As it says in Thessalonians and Peter and Timothy, the tickling ears want to hear so much in 2 Timothy that we have allowed ourselves to let the tickling begin and we have neglected to share the proper truth of God. And because we have done the tickling for so long, and when I say so long, I'm talking tickling for generations. I'm tickling for generations, because you want to know why? Because Generation Z, Generation Z is everyone born after 1999, which means this year, there's going to be some 20-year-olds out there. Generation
1: Z, only 4% have a biblical worldview. Did you see that drop? 75% of Americans are Christians. 9% have a Christian worldview, biblical worldview, a worldview filtered through the Bible. Generation Z, 4%. If you were to go back to the 40s,
0: 50s, 30s, the biblical worldview was as higher than 25%. Do you see this generational drop that has occurred? And the reason this generational drop has occurred is because we've been tickling ears for way too long.
1: Way too long. And what has happened is a generational curse of color blindness. We see, I don't have my daughters, I'm going to use this. I'm going to take a, from a playbook I saw before at another church. They use the tissue boxes. We see the tissue box. We see the burgundy, the red, whatever color, we see this.
0: We know that I'm holding something dark. We know that I'm holding something that has a life put on the thumb. But that's all we see. That's all that we recognize because the colorblindness hides the reality of the details of this box. And so the colorblindness doesn't tell us what it is. We are missing out the full truth of what this really is because we have allowed ourselves to be tickled by the falsehoods and it is not your fault. It's not the church's fault. It's the preacher's fault because the preachers have not been planning the full truth of God and they say, this is what you
1: want to know. This is what you want to hear. Here you go. And we are missing out. Try to pass your driver's license being colorblind. Why did you run that red light? Well, I thought it was green. We miss so much more important truth in there.
0: But the reality is we have to see things where we are. We have to recognize that that is red. We have to recognize what green is. We have to see the truth and the reality of all these colors around us so that we can properly Call out what needs to be called out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he is explaining to them, he's addressing issues, concerns were brought to Paul from the Corinthian church. And what was brought up was so much truth and so much, so much difficulty that Paul had to write out to them. Word got to Paul that the Corinthian church was divided. I follow this person, I follow that person, I follow this one. Paul said, Don't! Jesus Christ is the only one. Follow him. But then he had to address something so important in in, in Corinthians chapter 5. In Corinthians chapter 5, he addresses a certain individual. He addresses the church, and he says, this is what you need to do. See, word got to Paul that there was
1: a man in the Corinthian church who had taken for himself his father's second,
0: third, whatever, down the line, he took for himself his father's wife as his own.
1: He is sleeping with his father's wife under the banner of grace in the church. And Paul had to point something out. He goes, look, that is such an abomination. He goes,
0: even the Greeks, the Gen- even the Gentiles don't do that. That's even wrong in their eyes, and you're allowing it to permeate in yours? He goes, it, correct him, but if he doesn't respond to your correction, kick him out. I mean, Paul was very specific. He goes, this does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Kick him out. I mean, that was, I mean that's harsh, isn't it? But he goes, look, we can't, we can't have this. And so when sin arises, we've got to recognize it as such so we can address it. My heart breaks. My heart is in anguish just as much for the abortion bill that was passed as it does for what Lady Gaga said, as it does for an individual in, in my own history, my my one of my kid, one of the uh, a person I grew up with. They're not kids anymore, but a person that I grew up with who grew up in the same church was there just as often as I was. Yet, she is a photographer who is doing boudoir shoots, basically a soft pornography. And that's what, she, that's what she supports. She grew up in the same church I did. And that's what she does for a living now, is these particular photo shoots. And it, just, it has me so angered, because to be silent on an issue is to be in agreement upon that issue. And she has got her family supporting her. She's got those friends supporting her. And as far as I know, they still attend church. Propagating just this stuff. And the thing is, if they are being silent and saying that's what they do for a living, as long as they tithe, great. Then they begin to pour all that out. But the problem is, it doesn't please God. And by being silent against an issue, what we're saying is, I agree with that issue. And that's why sometimes in the church we gotta be quiet. We can't be quiet about stuff that doesn't belong in the believer's life. Because all we're doing is propagating a life of defeat. Oh, yeah, no, you, you grace covers it. Go ahead and, and dwell in that place when God says, No, no, I, I bled for you have to have victory over it. I bled so that you could have life over this. I bled so that you can have victory over that thing that is holding you captive. The Bible also tells of us, and this is what we need to be careful of, especially as the church, that woe unto you that causes one of these little ones to stumble, it is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed into the sea. You want to know how big a millstone is? For the first time, I saw a real millstone in my life. We, went, we were in San Antonio. We were walking through uh, the, the, the Alamo and the fort that it was in. And, and the, by the barracks of the Alamo, they have a, uh, an actual millstone. This thing is about that thick. That thick. And I cannot make my arms wide enough to show you the diameter it is. And when Jesus says it is better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and toss it into the sea, we're talking this stone, a circular stone, weighing thousands of pounds tied around your neck and tossed into the ocean. It's not tied a brick around your neck. Not, it's not a brick. okay? It's this ginormous stone that they would put these beams and, and turn it to crush
1: the grains into a powder. And he's saying it's better, it's better to do that when we realize that God has
0: asked us to be obedient to his will. God has asked us to be obedient to his grace, be obedient to what his word teaches us, that if we were to do anything outside of that obedience and we were to act in rebellion to God and to walk away from him, we we can have the ability to cause someone to stumble. And I'm using this as a great example because I have a Christian friend who is promoting soft pornography in her job and in, her, in, in magazines and in, in, on her Facebook page, and just all the mess that it is. And if some young man were to look upon those things and lust, she has just caused him to sin. And by causing this young man to sin in rebellion to God, she is better for her to have a millstone tied around her neck and tossed into the ocean. Do you catch the magnitude of this? And this anguish is on my mind because why is it upon my mind? Why is it upon my heart? Because God does not want His people to perish. God does not want His people to perish. He wants us to have life and to have it to the fullest and to have it so full of us and and God loves us. Love is so big and the reason He loves us so big is because if something were to harm us it makes Him mad. Come on, parents, agree with me on this because I'm going to make a great
1: point. If someone were to harm your loved one, what is the smallest payback you'd be willing to give? We
0: giggle because we know what's true. If someone were to do something that would hurt our child, if somebody were to bring harm to someone we love, our response sometimes is violent. One of the most um, overwhelming things I've ever experienced, and it's only happened once because I became a parent once and I just added to my children. But when
1: Elijah Stephen Quigley was born, when Elijah was born, Amanda was half out of it. She had a C section,
0: and uh, I go in there the first time to see them together and to see her holding him, and I'm just standing by the bed. And then those emotions, for the
1: first time, fatherhood just hit. And I was so overcome with a vengeful spirit. If somebody were to hurt my child, a nuclear weapon is not big enough. My
0: mind goes to that scene in the movie The Patriot, uh, where, where, where Mel Gibson's character his son gets hurt and he just goes berserk with an axe and a river that was, this, that was the image in my mind someone hurts my kid get me an axe get me a river and then get me a bath afterwards because I'm going to be red I, I say that colorfully because I want you to understand why because I love my child so much that if something's going to harm him I'm going to make sure it's done that emotion hit me. I'm watching, I'm looking at Amanda and Elijah just sitting there, you know, Elijah's only a few hours old and that emotion hits me. I'd never experienced it before. It contorted my face. I had to look away because I'm like, I don't want to see me looking at this with an angry face. I'm like, I gotta look away because it, it over, the emotion overwhelmed me so much that it made my face respond. I was starting to grip my teeth because
1: if, God, if something ever happened to that child, God forbid I ever get set loose on them. Where do you think that kind of emotion comes from? That God loves us so much that he sent
0: his only son to die on the cross for our sins, to die on the cross because he loves us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth upon him shall have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Do you catch the magnitude of God's love? Now see, we, we, we get that grace and that love so, so easily and we love it and it's so wonderful and it feels so good, but do you understand the other side of it? Because the other side is a sword-wielding God who is going to come in these last days riding on a white horse with his name written on his side, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's going to come
1: and he's going to decimate everything that harmed his children.
0: And do we realize that sin still does that to this day. And that we don't even recognize it sometimes in the church because we're so blind to the things that have upset God so much. We don't recognize that there are sinful things that we just don't recognize because we're colorblind to it. And it is the fault of the preachers and the prophets who have refused to call out what sin is that we've allowed it to propagate in our lives. We've refused and it's been allowed to continue and we just—we have not been holding ourselves accountable. We have not been holding ourselves true to what God has asked of us and it just keeps on moving. Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 4 and 5, her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary and done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He does no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings justice to light. He does not
1: fail. And then this part should hurt. But the unjust know no shame. No shame. The reason that is, this is what's really hard. We have 75% of the American Christians, Americans claim to be Christians, yet less than 9% have a biblical worldview. I'm going to say something really important here.
0: If more than 45% are not reading the Word of God, then they don't even know the heart of God. And if we don't know the heart of God, how can we have a biblical worldview? If we don't know what God's word says, how can we apply it to our lives? If we don't know what God's word says, how can we really see it? If we don't preach the whole truth of God, if we don't preach the whole word of God, how are we going to recognize when God wants to move something? How can we recognize what upsets God if we don't even read his word where he explains that it upsets him? We have to see where it upsets God. We have to see. We have to know. We have to read it. Because listen, the only way we can know the
1: heart of God is by going to the word of God. This this book is more important than we give it credit for. It is the words of life. It is the words of death. It is the words of power. It
0: is the words of revelation. Because God wants to pour all this out upon us. He wants to make it all known to us. Because I want to know, if God loved me so much that he was willing to send his own son, what must I be willing to do? If he loved me so much, how can I respond to God? Do you see this? What is the appropriate level of response? If he poured everything he is out on us, if he poured all of his love, all of his power, all of his might... For the glory set before him, he endured
1: the cross. Do you realize how much there's? How much he is so much more worthy. the 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 fact of who he is is enough for worship. Look at this. Plainly, upon who he is, is worthy enough for worship. Some of my best worship experiences I've ever had have been me in here in this room by myself. I think it'll be very truthful and transparent. Let me be vulnerable. The best worship experiences I've ever had have been in here with no sound system on, no music from my phone or any radio, just these lights on right here, the rest of the room dark. Dan's gone home. Pam has gone home. No one else here to hear my wailings. And I worship. And God speaks. You see, that alone, he is worthy. That alone. We don't don't need to have any of this. Is it wonderful? Yes.
0: Does it glorify God? Yes. Does it praise him and lift him up? Yes. But is it needed?
1: Because he alone is worthy. His love alone is worthy.
0: His grace alone is worthy. Do you see the magnitude of this? And this is the God that calls unto us. And this is the God who is jealous over our souls. This is the God who is jealous over our whole lives. And he is jealous over anything that would harm us. Yes, grace has covered us. Grace covers all our sins. We're set free. But you know what? Even when we're set free, a dog still returns to its vomit. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that simply if we are not staying clear of the vomit, we'll go back to it. If we're not, if we got to recognize the junk that it is. We got to recognize that sin harms us. Sin keeps us. Sin is hurting us. And it is causing God to
1: dwell in his jealousy over us. And he says, let it go. Oh, he, 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 he's see it for what
0: it is. This, this, I'm preaching it here, but I really feel in my heart that this needs to
1: go to all these other churches. Because God's people need to recognize what something is harming them. You want to know how you boil a frog? Slowly. You put it in the nice, lukewarm, and you
0: let it happy, you let it sit there, and then just minute by minute you just train it, you just you just turn it up just a little bit,
1: and a little bit, and a little bit at a time, slowly, and then next thing you know, you get frog legs. Boiled frog legs. They're good. They taste great. I lived in the South for, for almost seven years. I know what I'm talking about. I've been to those frog leg cook-offs. Come on. Aquatic chicken. But you do it slowly. But you gotta recognize that there's, you gotta recognize that the pain, you gotta recognize that the heat is on. You gotta, we have to see it and recognize it. If we're not recognizing it, then it's just gonna continue and continue and continue. Remember what I said earlier? That silence is agreement. And God does not want any of his people to agree with sin because it's a poison. It's a poison. God has called his people to a life of power and a life of authority. And Ravenhill has got a great quote. If you can throw
0: that quote up for me, buddy, so I can read it. This is a powerful quote. Christianity today is so subnormal that if any Christian began to act like a normal New Testament Christian, he would be considered
1: abnormal. You catch the magnitude of this. We, we, if we're, we've been so accustomed
0: in this generation, in this day and age play church where as long as I say praise Jesus when I talk to the preacher as long as I show up every week to church as long as my body is dusted off in time for other people
1: to see it I'm good as long as I got my get to heaven free card stamped I'm good it's so subnormal
0: that if we begin to act like normal Christians normal New Testament Bible believing walking in the authority and the power of our true identity, walking in the endowment of Jesus Christ's power, the Holy Spirit dwelling upon us, do we realize how weird we would be I decided in my heart to do something, and I'm practicing because it means changing my behavior, because I realize that I am a son, adopted son of, of God. I, I have been adopted. I am a, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I am, my, my identity is in Jesus Christ. He's called me. He's equipped me. He's filled me with his Holy Spirit. So when I walk through the stores and I walk out in public, I don't need to memorize my toes anymore. Now, this is because I'm one of those guys that when I go out, I am mission-minded, Okay? I go out, just going to do about my day, get what I need. And I'm just, I mean, I, I literally, this is how I spend most of my time. I'm literally looking right there as I do most of my walking. The problem is, by looking like this, I'm not exercising any authority. I'm not exercising any power that God's given me. And I've limited myself. Do you realize that? By my own sight, just my own behavior, I've limited myself. And so I decided that I'm going to start
1: looking straight ahead when I walk. And that when I bump when I see people, I'm going to look into their faces. So I tested it at Walmart. See? Already I'm digging my own grave. I tested it at Walmart. I helped 3
0: people find stuff in the grocery stores because they had no idea where to look. And they just wanted to talk to me about it. I helped a woman find catnip. I was literally just trying to get around a blockage in an aisle as I went down the
1: pet aisle. And this lady was standing there, do you know where the catnip is? Because I looked her in the face. It's so unique. But how many opportunities are we missing because we're acting like subnormal Christians?
0: Where Paul and, excuse me, Peter and John walking to the temple, walking through the gate, beautiful, and it says they set their eyes upon the lame man who sat there asking for alms. And he says... Money and gold I do not have, but what I do have to you, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. This is the power of Christians. And when they sit there, and when Paul would pray, they they would begin to let the, they wanted the apostles' shadows to touch their sick because their shadows brought healing. Do you realize this? This, this, and, and, and the purpose. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm like, I want to be a person of purpose and person of power, which means I've got to be a little bit more assertive. I've got to step out of my own box and walk with the authority and the power that God's given me.
1: And it's created opportunities that if I would never have had if I just avoided people. But God has to do that because my goal is to be abnormal in this day and age. I want to be normal... So the west of the world looks at us and goes, what's wrong with them? You see, we got to be so New Testament normal, going back and walking according to this
0: and allowing God to move in us and God to move in his power in us. Because if we did,
1: it's going to look weird. But you know what? I want to be somebody who works in what is supposed to be normal Christian power. Be a salt and a light. When there is a light, you don't hide it under a bushel.
0: You don't cover it in the corner of your home. You set it out for the whole world to see. So the whole world can see your light. So that the whole world can see your salt in action. So that we move in
1: the authority and the power that God has given us. But we've got to know... We've got to see things the way God does. We
0: have to remove our colored blindness and see the reality of everything that God wants to do
1: in and through our lives. It grieves God when his people no longer blush over what harms them. Can I see that? It grieves him when we are no longer ashamed of what what needs to be removed. Did you see? There was a time when behaviour, people were ashamed of behaviour, they either it did it or they got rid of it. Because the behavior was so appalling and they were ashamed of it. That all stopped when the priests and the pastors and the prophets stopped promoting, stopped talking about. The way God sees things. That's why we gotta call the church awake. And that's why we gotta kick the other ministers awake. Because the time of the harvest is now. Time of the harvest is now. The time of God to move is now. The hour is late, the word says. It's late. You can get up here, Brad. Give them hope. The hour is late. And this is the hour we find ourselves in. This is the hour we're in as the church. And we can't be silent about it. We can't be hidden. We got we to say, you know what? God's not pleased with
0: that. God's not pleased with this. God's not pleased with that thing moving. God's not pleased with those thoughts that we we entertain. God's not pleased with those behaviors. God's not pleased with these things. God's not pleased when His beloved children entertain the very poison that He came to save them from. Let me say that one more time. God hurts. God's not pleased when His beloved children entertain the poison that he saved them from. So yeah, God's grace covers everything. His power covers everything. But in my returning love for Jesus, I don't want to grieve him by showing the world that this poison's okay. I don't want to show the world that this poison's okay. I don't want to show the world... I don't want to show the world that I can live exactly like them and get my heaven card punched. Because we're meant for so much more. We're meant for authority, we're meant for power, we're meant to be witnesses. People are supposed to look at us and say, "Whoa, what is going on there?" You know what's so amazing? In my studying of the New Testament, they never went door to door evangelizing. As the church grew,
1: it wasn't because they went. People came. People came. They saw
0: them at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit came upon them in power on Pentecost. And everyone stood in amazement and wonder, what is happening? They're all drunks. And it says, Peter, get up. And Peter preached. Because they came to him. And 3,000 men, not counting the women and children, just the men, were added to their number that day. They came. They came. Because they were different. Because they showed a life of victory, a life of power. Churches are shrinking all across this nation. Not because the entertainment isn't good enough. No, the churches are shrinking because there's no power. Because we're so subnormal that they look at the church and they say, You're no different than me and you. You're no different than me. You're no different than that person down the street. You're no different than Lady Gaga. You're no different than the New Yorkers who passed that bill. You're no different than this person or that person. You're no different. And because they see no difference, they see nothing that's attractive, they see nothing that draws them near. But if we allow ourselves, to be different. To be, as the Bible says, the called out ones. Sanctified. Sanctified, the Bible word is. Sanctified. To be the called out ones. To be separate from the way this world thinks and acts and be's. We are to be salt. Not the salt to preserve the age we're in. We are to be the salt to preserve the truth of God's word. Amen. Amen. This is heavy, but this is what God laid upon my heart.
1: Because when I was a 19-year-old man in Bible college, me and a buddy were sitting in
0: his office, and he said, are you ready for conviction time? And I said, sure, lay it on me. And he turned on a preacher who was preaching in the 1960s. The recording was awful, couldn't understand a thing. But this preacher preached the word of God, and it was one of the first old-time preachers I've ever listened to, and now I read all of his books. And Leonard Ravenhill spoke a message, weeping between the porch and the altar. And I decided right then and there that if I'm going to be any kind of preacher, I'm going to be a preacher who says, Lord, I cannot give a message unless you've given it to me first. I'm not going to put a study together and just give a study for the sake of having church. Ravenhill wrote in his book, Revival Praying, he told the story of one of the greatest sermons he ever heard.
1: They had worship. Preacher got up, gave the benediction, send everyone home. Because God did not give him a message that morning.
0: So my prayer is that whatever God lays upon my heart, however joyful, funny, convicting, powerful, whatever that message is, it's going to be what
1: God wanted me to say. That's why I only open this book up if I need it. So I don't know how to close this message.
0: I don't know how to close this message because I don't know what God wants to do right now. I'm sitting here, I'm standing, I'm talking, I'm praying but we have got to be
1: the capital C. We've got to be the capital church that says, God, I'm willing to be the salt. I'm willing to love you more.
0: And in my love for you, O Lord, I am willing
1: to acknowledge what hurts you. Father, we hear and we love you. We worship
0: you this morning. We exalted you. We exalt you. Lord, you reign. Hallelujah, you reign.
1: And Lord, we want more of you.
0: Father, this was what was on my heart. This was what was in my mind. This was what was on my heart. And so, Father, I preached, I gave your word. Lead
1: us from this point forward. It's all for you.